Welcome, Dylan Hammond, to the Shetty Show. First time guest, commercial real estate guy. We knew you in college. Uh, super excited to have you on. We wanted to talk a little bit about real estate, a little bit sure about our, our times in college, the, the brief ones that we had, because uh, you, yeah. went, you went on your separate ways, and we want to talk about that too. Um, but let's get right into it. I know we were talking off podcast about this. You just bought a commercial property. I want to know what you did to get it. And what was the strategy that you decided to use to get that property? So I actually haven't bought a commercial property, but I, I did the, the fix and flip, I think is what me and you Correct. Uh, talked yes. about it a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I started off, um, I guess I'll start from the very beginning. I, when I moved down to Florida, I ran into this guy, um, his name is Jared Elmar. He owned a company called the Geneva group. Um, wasn't even really interested in res or in any type of uh, real estate at all. But um, he walked into the shop that I was working at and, you know, he pulled up in a Bentley and I'm thinking, okay, oh shit, what does this guy do? I got to figure that out. Always heard him on the phone, talk about numbers. And, you know, I, I, one day I just stopped him and I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I'm a college kid. Don't know, really know what I want to do. Is there any advice you can give me? And he told me what he did. He's like, I own a bunch of uh, small bay industrial warehouses, retail sh uh, shopping centers, and medical office uh, facilities. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, you don't oftentimes meet people that own those massive uh, pieces of property. And so got to know him a little bit. And eventually I'm like, you know, it's time for me to make, make the big move in my life. I pinged him on LinkedIn like 15 times, asking him if he could, you know, at least just meet with me in person. And so finally he gave in and I, uh, I went in and, and talked to him and he gave me an, an internship and what eventually grew into uh, a career with them. Um, and so that's kind of what sparked my interest. I'm like, you know, I'm seeing this guy, how successful he, he is and the kind of money that he's dealing with. And um, obviously being around all that, it's obviously going to seem pretty sexy to a, a new grad coming out of college, not really knowing what he wants to do with his life. So, um, I decided I was like, okay, now I'm going to try and do this, but I'm going to start small. So I, I started looking for duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes. Um, this is still when I was down in South Florida and nothing is affordable there. Nothing's affordable in a lot of these hot markets, but you know, it wasn't a reason for me to give up. I kept looking. So I ran the numbers on multiple properties, put in a couple offers. Nothing was really sticking. And, uh, you know, I was getting really frustrated with that. And so I started looking at fix and flips and, uh, again, nothing was really sticking. Um, so, but I kept going with it and, uh, over time decided to move from Florida, uh, up here to Nashville and, uh, did the same things, looked for duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes. Um, again, nothing was, was sticking. So I, I, again, did the same thing. I looked for fix and flips and, uh, you know, Zillow and Redfin, I was looking on those. I didn't have my license here in Tennessee, so I didn't have access to the MLS uh, myself. But eventually I just I decided to take a new route. I'm like, OK, you know what? I'm going to join as many uh, real estate investor groups on Facebook as possible. Uh, and I was constantly posting in there, you know, hey, I'm a cash buyer looking to buy something in, in the Nashville MSA. Send me anything you got. So eventually this girl <clears throat> reached out to me. And uh, she sent me like a handful of deals and they were better than any other deal I was looking at on Zillow 
And so I'm like, okay, you know, uh, I'm going to keep entertaining this and I'll look at more deals from her. And so she kept sending me these, these deals and eventually one stuck. And uh, I went and looked at it with her and she was a wholesaler with a company called New Western. Um, and uh, they, uh, they have a different way of doing things. But um, so basically they, they require you to either have an all cash offer or you need to have uh, a hard money lender to go in on the deal with you. And so I had, I had the cash, but they also required you to put a non-refundable deposit down. And that was kind of like iffy to me. I'm like, eh, you know, I've, I've heard of putting money in escrow and that, but that's refundable. How big was the deposit? A of time. It was a $10,000 deposit. Damn. And so um, like, you know, I, it's kind of risking a lot, not really knowing who this person is and not dealing with this company before. Um, so I did a ton of research on, on this company and eventually just decided to take the leap and do it. Um, and luckily it ended up working out. I, uh, I got in the property for 192 K, uh, which is unheard of in Nashville and was blessed to sell it for, I think three thirty-five. Um, nice, man. That's, but you know, for starters though, I mean, uh, Eddie, I'm sure you've seen it too. If you're working with a contractor, it, the, the growing pains of doing this, you're going to meet so many people that are going to come into your into your business and some are going to work out some are not i was unfortunately going in with a contractor that screwed me um but midway through i'm like you know what i gotta take things in my own hands i I got rid of him and found a new contractor and thank the lord i I came out on top but um it's all part of the business you know you learn as you go yeah absolutely i mean there's a a ton to unpack there um i want to get into the contractor piece a little bit because you just mentioned you kind of got screwed over by him was the contractor that you spoke to, was he a guy that you met through an online site? How did you kind of get in contact with this contractor? And what specifically did he do to screw you? Did he not promise on delivery deadlines? Did he ask for too much cash and then not, you know, deliver on uh, the product that you were supposed to get? What is kind of the the breakdown of that? Yeah, so I actually met him through the employer I had here in Nashville, uh, they're a land development consulting firm and they deal with all different types of new construction all around Nashville. Um, and this guy did some work for him, for my employer. And at the time I didn't know anyone cause I was brand new to Nashville. So I'm like, do you, if there's anyone, you know, uh, please give me his contact information and, uh, I'm going to take him out to these properties I'm looking at. And this guy, I mean, I would text him at like a day in advance, maybe even hours in advance, and he'd meet me there. So I'm like, okay, this guy's hungry and driven. Um, obviously, that's something that I want when I'm going to a property. I want someone that could be there all the time, working on it and fixing it, and help me flip it in a, in a quick amount of time. And so this guy comes with me here. He gives me his his ballpark estimate. He, I sit with him in his truck, and we're like writing down everything that we think uh, per section of the house what it's going to cost. Um, and when it came time to do this stuff, he became really flaky. Like he'd come, he'd come up there with me to this property and he'd do one thing. It would take him all day to do it. And then he'd leave. And then he'd be like, yeah, we're going to be there in two days. And then it'd be two weeks later that he'd get there. And so I'm like, you know, what, what's going on here? And he also told me, he knew it was my first property. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to do all these different things. I'm going to show you how to lay flooring. I'm going to show you how to, 
hang hang cabinet out of the kindness of his own heart huh yeah and so i'm like okay yeah it's probably because my employer uh you know introduced me to him and we obviously give him business so he's probably just doing it because he wants to keep a good relationship and uh you know i'm not kidding you when it came time to get the flooring i I bought all the flooring for it and i'm like okay you know i'm gonna lay some flooring tonight uh let's meet up there he's like i can't i can't make it there but here's a youtube video i'm like like, what do you i could have done this myself yeah what are you what are you talking about and and he did the same thing for everything else and um he also did like a bunch of lazy work too i remember he he knocked down a wall for me that uh i wanted to basically open up the kitchen concept and uh there was this random pole that was in the middle of the and that was basically hidden in a linen closet and um and it was there was a hole in the floor when he knocked it out and i'm not kidding you he laid down one piece of he laid down like one section of flooring in the house and he laid the flooring it was like cheap laminate flooring but it was nice but he laid it over a hole in the floor and so i'm like i'm like okay what happens when you know someone a family buys this house and a two-year-old steps on it and goes through the floor what am i like that's on me and so i like all these things started to add up and uh turns out that um he his his employer uh ended up telling me he's like yeah you know this guy really doesn't know anything he's talking about oh god um he 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 likes he's hungry for deals but once it comes to stuff he kind of just wings it um and he had you do stuff ass backwards and so i uh i kind of i took so many different signs to cut him off and and uh move on but um luckily i ended up reaching out to the wholesaler that sold me the property and told her, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of desperate. Do you have any contractors that you trust that you can get out to my property? And so she gave me a number. And this guy, I'm not kidding you, was like that. And he had guys out there doing phenomenal work. They saved my ass. Um, they were a pretty penny to pay for. But, I mean, the whole point of, of getting this thing done was to get it done quick and get it on the market. Especially coming into the summertime. I mean, summertime is the best time to sell a house. Mm-hmm. So, um Luckily, I got out of it uh, with a good return. So, wow, dude, that's amazing. I uh, <laughs> that's a really good story for a couple reasons. Number one, just the fact that it's your first property and you have to deal with this all at once. I'm sure, even though it was an uncomfortable situation at first, I'm sure looking back on it now, I'm sure you're glad you kind of got that one out of the way first, because now you know exactly what you're gonna look for in a contractor in any of your future places. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I, there's a lot of learning lessons that you, uh, that you kind of take away from it too. Like I, I invested in North Nashville and I was where we lived at the time I was in South Nashville. So every single day after my nine to five, I'd have to go sit in two hours worth of traffic downtown just to get to my property. And I, after working eight hours, I'd have to get there at seven o'clock at night and stay there till one thirty in the morning. And that not only takes a toll on on you as a person, but it also takes a toll on your relationship if you're with someone at the time. So um, just kind of figured out multiple different things um, while going into that. And not saying I'll never do a fix and flip again. I mean, I'd love to do it as a side side thing. Um, but it kind of showed me that, uh, you know, that was fun, but I kind of want to get into bigger, bigger and better things with commercial real estate, which is what I'm pursuing now. Amazing. And talk, talk about that a little bit. So the sentiment right now around commercial real estate is really not that hot, right? You mean hearing about, you know, office vacancies and such, but yeah. I have met a couple people, you know, like yourself that are 
you know, excited about commercial real estate are actively engaging in commercial real estate deals. And, you know, I kind of want to get your perspective on that because I feel like all I've been hearing is negative things about commercial real estate. And if there's still people out there, you know, swooping in for these deals, there's got to be, there's always a bull market somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, so you're absolutely right about the office aspect. Uh, office, as, as my mentor once said, he's like, office is a bad word right now. No one wants anything to do with office. Um, but there's other aspects of commercial real estate that do make sense. I mean, retail, retail shopping centers. I mean, those in great areas, those are, those are going to be a great idea. Um, small Bay industrial office or small Bay industrial, um, warehouse space. That's, I mean, contractors are always going to need some type of space to work out of. They need somewhere to store their vehicles. Um, and then same with medical office. I mean, people are always going to be having to go to doctors somewhere. There's, you're never going to go. And at least I don't think who knows nowadays, but um, you're never going to go see a doctor via Zoom and get checked out, right? So, no, and I've done I mean, that. Most- I've done the like Zoom call with the doctor, and I'm like, dude, I should have just gone and seen you. Like this was a complete waste. Of time. Right. So I see, I, I see your point there. Yeah. So I mean, there's some aspects of, of commercial real estate that I, I feel are never going to go away. Office. Ever since COVID happened, people, a lot of people are working remote, so a lot of people are hesitant about getting into office. But what I'm primarily looking at is multifamily. Uh, that, that's that's something I, I mean, I think you guys agree it's never going to go away, especially with housing prices right now. Some pe- A lot of people can't afford to buy a home um, and, multi- and renting is kind of just the, the way people are doing things now. Um, so that's kind of what I, uh, I decided to jump into after the fix and flip. Um, but I actually got pretty, pretty blessed in a way that I had a great relationship with my uh, previous employer in South Florida. Uh, his name's Jared Elmar. I think I mentioned that already before, but, um, you know, when I worked with him, I was bird dogging deals for him. So I, I was an analyst. I ran a, uh, a triple net um, fund for him, basically buying Q, uh, QSR restaurants, convenience stores. And Love then it. also I was... I was also uh, bird dogging deals for him. So I would essentially go on Google Earth, drop down and be like, oh, that property looks neat. Let's call the guy and see wow. if, if he'll sell it. Um, and so I did that for him for, I think, two deals. And this past April, I went down to, to see him and we got lunch. And he's like, you know, Dylan, we're, we're selling our largest asset um, in Orlando. And we're going to be sitting out a lot of money. We need to we need to move this somewhere. And so he's like, if you want to start bird dogging for us again, that I mean, we'd really appreciate. It. We need to get into something uh, like now. And so I told him like, well, how about we we restructure that? How about instead of me bird dogging deals for you, I find a deal and we partner on it. And so Boom. he's like, he's like, if you if you find something, I'll raise all the capital for it and we'll partner with it. And so. I'm like, okay, well, game on. Uh, let's let's start looking at stuff. So he gave me the market set he's interested in, um, and so now I'm I'm constantly looking for multifamily deals in Nashville, Raleigh, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, Knoxville, and even some parts of Atlanta. Um, but again, things are so hot right now; it's it's hard to make sense make sense of anything. I mean, we 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 constantly look through deals. I mean, a lot of deals we look through, we're like, okay, this probably isn't going to work, but let's underwrite the numbers anyway. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we're just, we're just in hopes that we'll look at a hundred deals and one, one will pop out and be a home run and that'll be our, our first big leap. Uh, there's so much you said there that made me extremely happy. Number one is the fact that you went back to your former boss and were able to find a way to make him an investor and not a boss anymore. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, number two, you mentioned a triple net fund. I'm sure a lot of our listeners and people who are in real estate don't know what a triple net lease is. Is Can you kind of explain what a triple net fund does and how you guys used it in uh, your Geneva Group company? Yeah, so we, we, me and me and Jared sat down and talked and basically we wanted to offer something that was a lot less risk, um, but, and, and gave some sort of like coupon payment to our investors. And so we, we came up with the idea of just going after, like I said, QSRs, like, uh, you know, I guess what's a good Burger Kings, stuff like that. And then convenience stores, gas stations. Uh, and even some type of auto automotive care. So we, I think we, we went after a take five, if I'm correct. I can't remember what it was, but, um, no, that's not, that's not an automotive advanced auto parts. Um, so we looked at, at deals like that, um, and kind of saw, you know, okay, these, these are, um, these aren't producing like great cash and cash returns, but you know, they're a lot less risky because these tenants are signing 20 year leases. So it's more of a, a guaranteed small coupon payment that we were offering to our investors basically as, uh, as another option instead of our more risky, uh, large investments that we were, we were typically bringing out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I ran that for him. So I was, I was underwriting probably eight deals a day. It seemed like all over the country looking for stuff. Um, we, we didn't do it for too long just because it, it kind of took too much time away from our best performing assets. But, um, yeah, I, I, I get, did I explain that good enough? No, I, I think, okay. yeah, I think you did. I think you did a good job. I th I'd say the only thing I would add is if, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a triple net lease typically works out where the tenant pays for basically all of their like operating expenses, utilities and stuff like that. You don't have to deal with any of that. Um, and yep. essentially they're just paying you, uh, a, a rental payment every month, um, just to use your space, but you don't have to deal with water, gas, electric, um, any of that type of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually, so his, his top asset is uh, small bay industrial and that a lot of small bay industrial leases are triple net. And so, I mean, you're, you're going into basically a, a shell, um, and, and these, these people that are renting them out are paying for everything. And the turnover is very, very low because, I mean, turnover costs are very low because do you need to go in and, and beautify a garage? No, you don't. So that's, that's kind of something that uh, has been his, his favorite type of asset is small bay industrial. But the triple net, triple net leases are, are very attractive in that aspect that you don't have as much expenses to really handle on yourself. Yeah. I kind of want to back backtrack for a second yeah. because you know, you, you've just dumped the, the past 10 minutes have been an absolute dump of a wealth of knowledge in, in real estate. And it's clear that you've gotten a lot more experience than, you know, we're, we're the same age. You know, we know, we all know people that graduated college or didn't graduate college, right? You've definitely had, uh, 
one of the most experienced I've seen people our age in, in, in terms of, you know, the broadest aspect of finance really that you can cover, because I'm assuming, you know, you're running, you're running models at the same time you're on Google earth at the same time, you're probably writing uh, a decent amount uh, in terms of pitches and terms. And then you're on the phone a lot you know, in, in communication with contractors, vendors, and, 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 and people that, that bring you deals like you mentioned earlier, but I wanted to backtrack to like our first days at NIU. You were a finance, you were a finance guy. We were going to, going to class at Barcima Hall. And I remember, you know, you, me and Max, uh, we, 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 we would get some food and we would always talk about, you know, that ability of, of, you know, running your own type of type of thing. So what kind of triggered you from, you know, your freshman year? And I believe you're there two years to, to, to leaving. Mm -hmm. Like what, what really set that inside you to kind of to kind of move towards that and move towards real estate. Cause I do also remember like we were kind of involved in stocks too. So how did you, yeah. did you lose a little love for that or, or did you just see this opportunity and you just couldn't, it was bigger than everything else that, that was around. Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, like I, I, I didn't really fall in love with real estate until I was in South Florida at FAU. Um, I mean, I continued doing finance, um, at FAU and I, I didn't like, I, I didn't really pick up on real estate until I, I met Jared Elmar. Right. Um, I kind of just fell in my lap and I was looking, I was desperate for a job. Um, and so I, I, I just ended up talking to him and eventually it, it clicked. I also, my first job actually was in finance. Um, but it was with, uh, coastal wealth near mass mutual firm. Okay. And I joined thinking, you know, I didn't really understand what financial advisors did in my head. I thought, okay, yeah, we just have a big, big lump sum of money and, and all we have to do is trade it. And right. I didn't really know to realize that most of that job is cold calling. And I absolutely hated cold. Calling. <laughs> yeah. Um, most do. Yeah. I mean, but I didn't even start off selling like uh finance, financial products. I mean, it was all, it was life insurance. Right. And if you get a call, someone trying to sell you life insurance, <laughs> you're not going to be nice to that person. I mean, everyone, everyone, I mean, the amount of FUs I'd get, or someone would toy with me and make me think that they're interested and then shut me down immediately. I mean, my, my confidence was just in the toilet. Yeah. So I knew after probably four months, three, four months of being in that job, I'm like, you know, I, I don't see myself being in this long term. I, I, I hate it. I despised calling. I'm like, I need to make a jump. And so I, uh, I, I knew Jared, I followed him on LinkedIn. And so as a desperate kid would be, I, I found him on LinkedIn. I just, I messaged him day after day after day after day. And eventually he's like, all right, you know, come in, let's talk. And so I basically begged him for an internship. Uh, and I learned so much. I mean, I worked directly underneath their director of acquisitions and uh got a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with jared i went out to dinner with him and, and a lot of his broker buddies um and really got exposed to their type of wealth um and i knew i'm like okay i'm not going to screw this up i am going to get a job with them and so they never really set a term on when my internship was in an end so i mean i was there probably six months maybe six yeah about six months without getting paid a dime and so I was, I was sitting there. I'm like, okay, this guy's got to know that my internship has been over with, and he's got to, he's got to be like thinking something, right? So, eventually, he pulled me into his office. He's like, 
hey, when uh, when was your internship supposed to end? I'm like, I think it ended like three months ago, but I'm trying to get a job. So can you offer it to me? And so he laughed and he's like, yeah, we're, that's exactly what this meeting's about. We're going to give you a job. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I stayed as an analyst and then pretty much each and every month I was given a new task. Uh, started off as an analyst underwriting deals with the director of acquisitions, then running the triple net fund and then uh, bird dogging deals. To where you so, are now, right? Yeah. And so bird dogging deals was back into the cold calling aspect, which I was trying to get away from, but I did have a lot more success with the cold calling owners just because working with Jared, I was able to, I wasn't essentially a broker. I was able to call them as if I were Jared. Right. And be like, Hey, you know, I have property right down the street from you. We're we trying own. to give you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we, we own 200,000 square feet right next door. I see you own this. You, you've owned your property for 20 years. How can we make a deal? We'd love to buy it from you. I pass it all the time. Uh, it just makes sense. And so uh, obviously those guys are willing to talk to someone else that owns property more than they would be to someone that just wants to sell it. So um I, uh, I was fortunate enough to close two deals with them. Uh, I believe both were in Orlando. One was a medical office uh, facility and the other one was an industrial uh, center. And um, I took that money, put that money into a mentorship program to learn how to syndicate multifamily deals. And since then I, I decided to talk to Jared and now we're hopefully going to partner on a big deal together. <laughs> I love it. Dude, yeah. it, it seems like you've done more front office work than anybody Dude, our age that, that we know. Yeah, it that how close you are to the you literally are the whole deal process from sourcing the transaction mm -hmm. to the research due diligence of the transaction, talking closing to the, client. the transaction to then you know I'm assuming you know it's you you guys run it in a port like a portfolio type way, right? You got your yep. sectors and you basically now you're now you're operating. And that's the one thing. It's like when you buy when you buy a business or you buy properties and stuff. It's like you welcome to the game of like operations. And yeah. like, I feel like you yeah. know when you trade stocks, right? You don't participate in the operations, right? That's the whole point. Right. But and so you could put your life savings into a stock and you could do nothing for the next six months. You put your life savings into a multifamily property, you know, buy a strip mall or, or, or whatever those, those deals are, you, you're in this game now. And that, that, you know, I, I can imagine you're, you work a lot probably. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, there's never, it's never just my nine to five. I mean, once I get home, I go to the gym and then I'm usually up till 11 o'clock. I mean, I, I call my partner pretty much every single day. We underwrite deals together. We talk about strategy. Um, since I said I'm, I'm not really great at cold calling, I'm really, really good at finding owner's information and finding deals that I think would be right in our buy box. Right. So I basically spend a lot of time going through a market, finding property, finding when the owner last bought it, uh, and finding their contact information. I literally supply my partner with a huge list of everything he needs to know about these deals. And he calls them and, uh, you know, tries to tries to get them to at least say yes. They'll send us some information on on the property. Um, but back to your comment about operating. I mean, I never had experience in managing a property. I mean, all I knew was the acquisition part of it, so buying it um, and how to underwrite if it's a good deal or not. But my partner, he actually has been in uh, property management for the longest time. I mean, he he just actually 
got back from Raleigh, North Carolina. He got sent out there um, from it by his company to basically take an asset that was failing and bring it back to life. And so he has like firsthand experience on how to do this stuff. Like it's it, so I mean, but that's I not just operating. Was, that's turnaround too. That exactly that's a whole nother yeah. business too. So I think he. I think what he said is that this property was like. I, I could be wrong. I think he said it was like 60 to 70% occupant uh, or 60 to 70% occupancy. And he took it up to 85% occupancy. Right. That's very good. So, I mean, and, and this, this property, I'm telling you, some of these people were living in, in units that literally had no drywall. Like it was just studs and, Jeez. and it was his, it was his job to come in and basically turn this thing into a, a at least a B plus asset. Um, and, and so I knew I'm like, you know, you have something that I, I don't, I have no idea how to do that. And so the fact that we have different expertise really makes us a good partnership. Amazing. You'd be surprised. He, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I mean, it, so that's, he's, me and him started a company called Fox Ridge Assets, and we're basically planning on bringing the deal to Geneva. So it's going to be a Fox Ridge Asset Geneva partnership. It's not just going to be me, Jared. It's going to be two businesses. That is amazing. Okay, so... Going into that, I had another question, but fuck that question. Going into this question, you just talked about merging your company and his, correct? Did I understand mm -hmm. that correctly? Not, not merging it. I mean, we're we're gonna basically be partner GPs on deals. Love that. Got it. Okay. Okay. So is that how your first deal with him went? Um, and now I'm going back to the part where you said that you were able to get him to invest his capital in a deal that you found and sourced and all that type of stuff. Or how is that deal working? Um, like, are you, so, are you working for him in the deal? Like, I, I'm very, are interested. you asking like what his, his allocation what, is? What? Yeah. What's your if allocation? He's putting up all the capital. Correct. Like uh, how much, what you don't, are, you don't have to get into you, that. You if don't it's, have, yeah. If it's, yeah. If it's too, if it's too deep, don't, don't get into it. But yeah, no. So we, we haven't discussed that. Like I, like I said, I talked to Jared back in April. So I mean, it, it is August now, but I mean, four months ago and we've been actively looking and as you guys both know deals are not coming around the corner that makes sense every day. So we're mm -hmm. still actively looking. So we haven't pursued a deal with him, but there have been a lot of deals that like we, me and him and me, my partner, Jared, and, and their, his director of acquisitions have sat down on a call with a broker and talked about like, okay, how do we get this thing done? And we've discussed different, different uh, strategies as how to attack it. Unfortunately, we have not closed a deal together yet. Um, and when I say that, I mean like Fox Ridge and, and, and Geneva, but, um, you know, to that same point, they haven't closed a ton of deals themselves this year. And last year was their hottest year yet. I mean, I think they closed eight deals last year. And I think this year they're at two or three, maybe. So, I mean, it's it, the cost of debt right now is really taking a hit on, on a lot of these, these buyers right now. So it's, it's uh, it, unfortunately, it has not happened yet, but we have the the luxury of having him to go to. And, uh, deal presents itself. Forgive me if this seems ignorant, but you mentioned you know B plus trying to turn something around to to a B plus. Mm -hmm. Is that is this is this like some sort? Is this a standard like widely known, or is this like your internal company standard of what what's an A plus deal, what's a B plus deal, what or or, or business? Just clarify so, that so real it's, quick. Yeah, it's an industry standard, so it's uh it's basically just a way to look at an asset. So if you have a 2023 new build property, right. um, and it's got all brand new, everything that's going to be an A plus asset. 
Okay. Uh, if you're looking at a 1960s property that has a leaking roof and, you know, has uh, basically a bunch of things that need to be replaced, like you're almost doing a full gut job, you're probably looking at a C minus, maybe, maybe even a D plus asset. So it's all based on the quality of the, the asset. But the only way to get into the A's really, in my opinion, is if you're like at least three or four years old buildings. So, I mean, if you were looking at like a 2015 building, now that's eight years old. So, I mean, that's really when you're in like the B, B's because some things are, are getting to the point where they need to be replaced. Like right, you know, some, okay. some, some appliances might need to be replaced. Um, you know, all those different, different aspects of things, but it's kind of just basically giving it a, um, a name as to the quality of, of the, the unit, quality right? of the asset. Yeah. But, but that's, and you know, it, they are tied, right? If you have a higher quality asset, you would think that it would cash flow better, but obviously it, it, it varies from deal to deal. The 1960s property can cash flow you depending on where you're at more than the, than the new property would. So this is purely just based on the quality of the, the actual stuff in the unit and the unit itself, not necessarily its cash flow potential, right? Yeah, and I guess that's a good point to bring up actually. So the main purpose of what we do is basically we look for C plus assets and our goal is to bring it up to a B plus asset. Boom, All right. So okay. we're gonna go in, we're gonna renovate everything. And um, we, we typically like to find a mom and pop owner that has owned it forever. Um, you know, they have great relationships with their tenants, so they don't really care about charging them top dollar rent. All they care about is keeping those tenants in there because they're good payers. Um, and so what we want to do is we want to find those people that are either in distress or, you know, maybe they just don't want to do this anymore. Maybe that they, they passed away. And They'll fire sell you a bit their business to you. Yeah, yeah so, something happens. And so what we want to do is go in and renovate everything we want to bring this thing up to a top tier and then we want to justify being able to pay or bring the, the rents up to what the market is. Right. And so sometimes you can find, you know, a property that is, has an average monthly rent of like $1,100 a month. And realistically the market's asking for $1,600 a month. And so that's a huge Delta. That's something that's where you can, you can capture a lot of um, growth. Right. So that's that we typically try to figure out how to get there. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of the great best deals are made. Now that then that makes a ton of sense. And what, what you're saying too, is, is a common theme that it, it's kind of been floating around now is, is, you know, there was a lot of craze in buying big businesses, right? And the only way you could buy a big business is if you were in a big fund, right? But now yeah. smaller family offices, you know, similar situations like yourself are basically an effectively way of running a small PE shop. And, in you know, in, in your case, there's a lot more to it, right? Operationally, you know, running these assets, you're probably holding them for longer than a typical private equity fund would hold an investment for. But in a way the the parallels I see here are just stark. It, it's, it's almost the same. No, it's actually, it's crazy. Um, I mean, you're, you're juggling all this thing, all these things. You said you had a nine to five. What are you currently doing for your day job be to, to have kind of the time to do all this stuff on the side? Yeah. So my, uh, I just started a new day job actually. Um, and this, it's going to make this even harder because I, uh, uh, it, it's going to be time consuming. I, I'm going to have to travel a lot. I'm a, 
I'm actually a real estate manager for Dunkin' Donuts. Damn. Um, okay. So I, <laughs> I, I'm bringing on new, new locations for a franchisee in Nashville, Kansas City, and Birmingham, Alabama. Sick. That's very cool. I mean, it's it, you. You're still working in the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Your, your skills yeah. are going hand in hand, right there. So. Apples to apples, baby. Yeah. 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 It's a different underwriting model. It's actually a lot easier. Their underwriting model is a lot easier. Um, obviously, because they they've had it built out. And they're big dogs. They started, they, yeah. Yeah. And uh, but they're they're backed by such such a crazy group. Um, the, they're backed by Vantage. Okay. Um, and. Uh, They've been they've been doing great for I, I want to say they've been in business for 15 years, but they have 80 locations and they're going for 200. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. They just last year they were franchisee of the year. So, um, oh. we're they how, brought me on to kind of how does that work? There's, Did it surprise you how much those print? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they they don't they don't go after anything that's less than a 30 percent IRR. Wow, that that's high. Wow, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it, it, yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's, it, I, it, but you bring up that funny point. Is there's like they own eighty or something, you know, locations. Mm -hmm. I was reading about the like this Culver's family that owns, you know, like hundred and fifty Culver's chains, and like it, it's all family operated. Like there's nine of them, and they they yeah. basically from they're the executive level, and then then it's just a tiered structure down of. Uh, 150 or 200 printers <laughs> and, and that's exactly yeah. what it is it's like you look at the and i haven't seen the income statement but i you can see how it works right the basically the you as the operator just making sure that these businesses are, are you know generating enough revenue to to print the the margin that you need it the more you have is just the more money you get it's it's kind of it's kind of simple in a way but at the same time it weirdly effective like there's nothing crazy about the franchisee pump pump model you know right yeah it's uh it's definitely different because um with everything that i've done prior to this new job it's all been about i mean location's gr definitely a factor but it's also the quality of the building currently when you're looking at it but with these guys it's all about location i mean you got you there's deals that they've turned down just for being on the wrong side of the road Right. No. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you got to be on the AM side, obviously, if you're selling coffee. So, um, I mean, it's it's definitely it's definitely making me look at real estate in a different perspective, and um, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I, I'm loving it so far. But uh, yeah, I've I've been with this job for probably three weeks now. Oh, okay. nice. So it's, you're fairly new. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> congrats yeah. on the offer. Uh, that's yeah, interesting to me that like a place like Dunkin' Donuts or, or uh, Culver's that you mentioned doesn't have like a cap on how many people or how many franchisees they can have for like one person. Because Chick-fil-A's model is like, okay, one franchisee gets one store and that's like the cap, like the max. I think Chick-fil-A's so, Chick models. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to say Chick-fil-A's so model is insane. They, they, have, they have SDAs, um, which basically say like, okay, if you're going to be a franchisee in this area... These are the amount of stores you have to open up within a year. So, I mean, mm. I think in Nashville, we have to open up three stores a year. In Birmingham, I I want to say it's two, maybe one a year. And then Kansas City, I believe it might be two a year. So, I mean, if we fall short of that, then we, we are at risk of losing our SDA. And so what happens when you lose your SDA is you can't open up any more stores. 
I believe that's how it is. If I'm, if I'm, I, I, I may be wrong on that, but like I said, I'm, I'm pretty new. So excuse me if I, if I am wrong, but if you do, if you do lose that, then, um, a lot of these older people. So I think there's three, there's three different franchisee, uh, in, in the Nashville area. One of them, I believe can no longer add new stores. So it's, there's talk in the air of possibly being able to buy it, buy their, their, uh, stores and then getting their sector. But like, we literally have a broken out map on where we can invest in. Um, because obviously you have, you have like borders and territories. And so you can't go into anyone else's territory. Cause then you can, um, you can kind of ruin their business. At their I mean, you sure? I'm pretty sure I've seen Starbucks and Dunkin Donuts be like <laughs> a block from each other. And I'm like, I don't know. So I'm talking, I'm so I'm talking like Dunkin Donuts and Dunkin Donuts. No, that's what I mean. I've seen, you know, I mean, obviously we're in the city, so it, it's a bit different. There's yeah. Probably going to be a Dunkin Donuts on every other block. But I mean, I've seen those situations and like it, 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 it's one of those where you would be confused. Like, why would you have two Dunkin Donuts there? But the, the volume, it's Bro. just the volume. Yeah. Game. Downtown is crazy yeah. with yeah, that. It's volume. <laughs> Every half it. mile is a Starbucks. Yeah. I, I know they're in Nashville. It's crazy. We were there, I think Tuesday and I was standing at a Starbucks. I looked to my right and I saw another Starbucks, right? Like, <laughs> like not, not even, uh, I, I wouldn't, I would say not even like a 10th of a mile away. And like, how is this not cannibalizing this store? Right. And so, but I, I, my assumption would be that they're probably the same operators and they maybe that they're getting so much business that, that they're to. hearing from their managers that, you know, if we had another one, we would not be hurting at all. And maybe that's where they make that decision. I don't know. Or it's just prime real estate and they didn't want to lose one over the other. That's another thing that that's, yeah, I didn't think about that. A lot of good nuggets on this podcast. Yeah. 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 But what you were saying with Chick-fil-A's model is completely different. Yeah. So they own the land underneath their build. Like Chick-fil-A, the company, owns the land underneath the building. They take like 10% off the top line right away. They choose the location for you. They choose you the location. You get no say. <laughs> you have to like yeah. this super stringent application process. Uh-huh. And I mean, I, I knew like a lot of my family when they immigrated here, they opened, you know, Subways and Dunkin' Donuts. That was that was the thing that you did because of how cheap it was. You could basically get a Subway or a Dunkin' Donuts for about 25, 30 grand, you know, and like, you were pretty much there like you're you're operating this business now and it would probably make you you know back then 80 as the operator right like 80 80,000 a year and then if you hopefully got to 100 but then at that point if you saved enough money it only cost you 25k to open another one Bro. you know and that's how this that's how these offices kind of started and then over 15 years they own 150 locations and if they didn't aggressive go too aggressive and take on too much debt to get more stores they did it slowly like printer boom yeah i believe our franchise fee is like forty thousand. so it's oh it's just I, I, not that off, yeah i got off too much oh man they're trying yeah. to get more and more people to buy but that was in. the point that's how they got so like that's how duncan just appeared everywhere and subway was yeah. like they're now they're closing them down right the subways because of number one the business model is just not doing well but that's why there were so many goddamn subways everywhere it was so yeah. cheap it was yeah. so cheap to be a business owner but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I still think it's a, the biggest uh, fast food chain out of any other one. Subway. Like locations. Number one, yeah. Locations, yeah. Or McDonald's. Well, you, you see no, them in like the most rural, rural towns. It's, yeah. it's either, I mean, if you go into a rural town, you're either finding a Subway or a McDonald's. Yeah, no, two. that's fair. That makes sense. Um, but I mean, I see, I, I've been seeing Dairy Queens start popping up in rural towns too. Really? Yeah. You know, I don't get outside enough. 
I'm a, I, uh, stay, yeah, I, I stay in to, Chicago like ninety <laughs> percent. Well, I would, I would, I'm just one, I'm wondering if maybe their their setups possibly similar. I, mean, I would think. I mean, if if you're going into a town that's like five thousand people, you would think that you got to be your your fee must be insanely low, and you must not have a lot of overhead uh, to be able to justify that small of sales. I don't know. Everyone needs an ice cream shop. Yeah, it's true. Right. <laughs> it's true. You need to get your yeah. fix. Right. I do want you to comment yeah. on, you know, you'd lived in a few different places, you know, over this, this little journey here. And I, obviously Nashville seems to be a place you're anchoring to, but what has been like the most exciting place you've lived? What is like, in terms of just what you're thinking, uh, is where is in your mind, you know, the next, the next Nashville, the next Austin, Texas, uh, that you're seeing. And obviously, you know, we're not going to, no gun in your head on these predictions because who knows, right? Yeah. It, it the market's gonna market, but uh, there there there's definitely another one of those out there, even in the conditions we're in today. Man, I'm I'm hot on Kansas City. Mm. Kansas, I've heard that. I, I <laughs> want I I want to get into Kansas City. Um, the only thing that doesn't fit my metrics for Kansas City is the crime rate. Um, okay, but I mean, I uh, for example, I thought I'm like okay. I love Kansas City, but you know I know there's a lot of a lot of big industries there, but and, and they've had pretty nice uh, population growth. And I follow quite a bit of people from Kansas City that are constantly le- releasing news articles um, about why it's growing. I mean, I think that they're, I think they're like the biggest city with solar right now. I think I just read something on that. Wow. Um, but they, uh, I actually my my partner he just talked to his. CEO of his company, and I believe their company is called F, FPA, and they're 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 a sizable company. And I think they asked him, you know, what what market are you going after? And they were expecting him to say like Raleigh, Nashville, some of these areas that are already hot. Right? Yeah, his yeah. answer was Kansas City. Okay, okay, man, Dude, Kansas City, baby. I went to Kansas City in 2018, and I was extremely impressed with the city, like mm-hmm. as a whole. I think yeah. I think out of all the Midwest cities I've gone to, it's probably my top three. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Wow. They have the I don't know if you know this, they have the world's largest World War One museum. So they have a ton That's of cool. like World War One memorabilia there and it's like a huge museum, very cool. The city's very nice and clean. Um, they have kind of like a West Loopy district, something very similar. It's like a Fulton Market type vibe. Yeah. Um, kind of on the east side of the city. And then the food is just, you get the Southern right. barbecue, man. Right. It's, it's incredible. Well, wait, talk about, talk about the crime rate though. What's the, I'm not aware of the, the issue over there. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I I've seen typically like a, a crime rating, I think of above 500 is something you kind of want to stay away from. Right. Uh, and that's, that's taken by like crime per pop per capita population. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think the reason why it's high is because it's not a gigantic city. Uh, right. But the, cur- I mean, the, the city- per capita crime is high. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, another bad one is St. Louis, but St. Louis is actually a bad city. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I agree. But, yeah, I sucks. Mean, but I mean, if you look at, uh, Chattanooga, for example, Chattanooga, yeah. Tennessee, that's another one that, ha- that I think it actually lists as like top 10 most dangerous cities in the United States. And I was there, I've been there a couple of times and I, I'll tell you, I mean, I would, I would comfortably walk the streets at night, not feeling unsafe. I don't think Chicago's on that list. I don't either. 
for all the flack it, it gets in the media. And it might be because of the amount of people that that are the per, there yeah, outweigh yeah. the amount of crime that goes there. A good Wait, point. but then that but that's one thing to emphasize though is I feel like people say you know oh there's so much crime in the big cities in terms of volume yeah of course there is mm-hmm. of course yeah. there is but on a on a per capita basis you get a city like you know Baltimore or, or St Louis I don't really see I haven't heard many real estate investors saying that they're they're, for Baltimore. They're, they're making Baltimore. They're making Delaware LLCs. That they're not going to. They're not going to Baltimore, Maryland, anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I kind of take the crime uh, with a grain of salt because, I mean, Nashville's a hot market, and Nashville's got crime in a lot of spots. But I mean, if you invest in the right pockets, then you're, you'll be fine. I mean, there's a. I'm not totally familiar with Kansas City. I mean, now that I'm going to be working there, I'm. I'm going to start looking there for real estate but um there's a there's a town called overland park and from what i hear it's like the it's like the naperville it's like it's it's the high-end area everyone wants to be there there's i mean you got you got tons of people that are that are there with a lot of money um and that's actually where uh vantage the company that um is backing us i mean they're the the guy that owns the company is a billionaire and he's from kansas Right He's from Kansas City area. What's so, with these billionaires uh, from out in the Midwest? I got a the hustler, the hustler mentality, I don't know. man. I don't know, it's man. Yeah, they went to K. They went to K State together, and uh, and he uh, some I, I can't remember what his total story was, but he ended up going to Harvard, and okay. ended up working in this PE firm. Yeah, that and sounds about right. Now he's now he's got billions. So that's, yeah, that that's the order of operations. <laughs> it seems like yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a it's a motivating story, um, especially when you hear guys that come from like small town USA, right? Yeah, making it big. Hundred percent. That's, that's that's the dream. hundred oh, percent. My question oh. is, is how do you get into Harvard? <laughs> I'm genuinely curious because I, I, you know, I see it all the time. People from small town USA, inner city USA, getting into, you know, these fine establishments, and I'm. Just curious on how they did it because some some somewhat of it you know is it's how rare it is. Yeah, their acceptance rates what like six percent? You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. I mean, damn, dude, I was blessed to get into NIU. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> um, but I mean, to to that same story. I mean, unless you're going into a certain field, um, I'm a true believer that you're not. It's not so much about where you went. It's more about what you do afterwards. I mean, the guy. Jared Elmar, he didn't even he didn't even graduate high school. Damn, and he's a, he's a multimillionaire now. Right, he's living the life. I mean, he he just took the next step. He's like, okay, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. It's not like they teach real estate investing in schools. No, high school especially. Um, he just took the leap, did it himself, and figured out how to do it, and and saw it working successfully. A lot of these guys that you see that are doing great, a lot of them didn't go to college. So, I, I don't think people are screwed just because they can't get into the top-notch school or because they can't afford the good state school or not state schools, good schools like uh, U of I, for example. Right. I mean, you, you, you always have a chance. We harp on this on this podcast like almost every episode. Yeah. We talk about this quite a bit, so I love that you're outgoing that sentiment. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, kind of a question, not really real estate related. You've lived in the suburbs of Illinois of Chicago, you've lived in Nashville, you've lived in Florida. Out of those three, 
has Nashville been the best experience for you or do you miss Florida or Illinois? Man, I'll be, my girlfriend and I constantly talk about it. Um, I miss Illinois a lot. Uh, Let's go. Mostly because, <laughs> mostly because, you know, family, friends, right. uh, obviously that's, that's where I grew up. So it's always going to have a special place in my heart. Um, I loved Florida when I first went down there, but um, nothing against New Yorkers, but they're just, they're a lot different than the Midwest. So uh, that's South Florida is full of New Yorkers, full of people that have flaunty things. And it's just not something that I ever got used to. And it never really felt like home. Now, don't get me wrong. The way of life down there is awesome. Going out on the ocean every single day on a boat uh, never gets old. And the people that you meet down there, I, I don't think I could meet realistically anywhere in the world, um, just certain places. So, I mean, that, that was a great experience, but it's also so ungodly expensive to live down there. And so, you know, when starting off, when you're trying to make it big, uh, or at least get your feet off the ground, you got to minimize your expenses as much as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And so I, it's hard to do that when you're paying $2,000 a month hundred percent, and paying top top gas prices you can't go out to eat for a decent meal at, at a decent at a decent price so i knew what we needed to do was kind of minimize our expenses and get somewhere that we actually also felt like we wanted to raise kids eventually one day and so we decided to move to nashville um knowing that it was a family friendly friendly area and it's also a thriving market um so we moved down to franklin tennessee which is like where all of the country music stars and a lot of celebrities live um so we quickly found out that that was not that much cheaper than florida uh, and so uh thankfully I, I closed my uh fix and flip and the two deals that i did with jared all at the same time so i, I ended up putting some of that money into a house out west natural where it's a little bit cheaper but still a nice area i mean the the uh path to growth is definitely coming this way so i'm hoping within the next couple of years it'll appreciate a, a good bit but we're honestly unsure where we want to end up being i mean i got i got a good thing going uh here for sure but i also think that we could have a good thing going back in illinois if we ended up moving there so it's kind of up in the air right now come on back man let's do a deal let's yeah, let's get something right. done i gotta i gotta hey, I, I, talk i'm to not afraid to do, i'm not afraid to do deals out of state dude all right the main, the main important thing for me is having someone that has boots on the ground. Because if, if you're trying to do something and you're not present, you're not able to see what work's being done, if contractors are showing up, or if the property manager is doing their job, then you're kind of taking a big risk because they could be doing a lot of shady stuff behind your back. Mm -hmm. So if someone's on the ground, boots there, seeing it, that's all that matters to me. Have you have you thought about sharing You know your experience and your knowledge on social media at all I, has anyone talked to you about that or have you have you thought about that because i think you know obviously in terms of the highest level of real estate expert right there's there's always going to be somebody out there that knows more than you me and everybody right at our stage it's just hard to be the guy and uh, uh, but you're, you're working your way there right but mm -hmm. i think even at a smaller level just the fact that you can show people that think it can't be done, that you're kind of doing these things is, right. I think that in, that in itself is special. So I, I didn't know if, 
you were posting a bunch of stuff and I wasn't getting on my timeline or if you thought about it. Yeah. So LinkedIn is actually something I, it's been my, my goal this year to really take off on LinkedIn. Um, especially with syndicating, I got to somehow get access to investors right? some way or another. So I've been making it a goal of mine uh, to post once a week on LinkedIn. And uh, actually, I didn't post this week. I didn't think about it. But um, I uh, I post every single every single week. Some it, A lot of times, it'll be about like the flip I did. I, I announced our launch of our company. Um, but other times, it's like just rules of thumb in the real estate investing world. Uh, something that I know, I'm just sharing my knowledge. Um, so sure. I'm trying to make it known to everyone that, that I'm, I'm doing this thing. And we also like to make, we've, we've done this before. We've made like a, um, a PowerPoint type thing, basically explaining the benefits of a syndication and being a, a limited partner in a deal um, in hopes of someone being like, okay, oh, that's interesting. Let me reach out to these guys. Maybe I'll invest with them. So that's actually done very well for us. Um, my partner also does it as well, but I've, I've seen a little bit more traction. Um, so we've actually, I just talked to him yesterday and he's confident that we could probably raise, I think he said $10 million. No, maybe $5 million if we needed to. Uh, just basically getting people seeing what we're doing. Um, obviously, that comes with bringing him a great deal, right? But now we have these this pipeline of people that we can go to. Well, you need the gunpowder, right? You need the gunpowder. That's the, that's the first step. I mean, you can't be buying shit, really, if you don't, right. if you don't have capital. So I, and I, I, and I've heard that I've, uh, we've talked on other podcasts about, about this. I've had, you know, someone tell me that LinkedIn is like the game and it, it makes sense. Right. I have like, I have more connections on LinkedIn than I have on certain social media apps. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? The, the, yep. the amount of people and also the, the level of wealth of people that I follow or, or follow me back is the highest on LinkedIn, obviously. Right. So, and, and I think for the longest time, everyone was just like, I kind of have this, yep. I just kind of have this. It's like my resume, you know, and, and, and it's just there and we'll all follow each other, but we won't do anything. And then all of a sudden exactly. I think over the last 12, 24 months, it's completely popped off. And I think, uh, I think, I think what you're doing, I think you're seeing the, I think you're seeing the vision there. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, the amount of the amount of people I, I mean, I just had something happen. Um, we have a broker for our Dunkin Donuts. Uh, he finds us deals in Knoxville. And I hopped on a call with him. He's like, Hey, I saw you, uh, you do multifamily. I looked at your LinkedIn. Um, I actually do multifamily investing too. Let's let's talk about this in depth. And so I mean, if, if you're not letting people know what you're doing, how are they ever going to know that what you're doing? Right? So 100%, yeah. um, I mean, that's, that's been my goal, man. It's just, I, I looked at it after having it for three years, had one post and had like 150 connections. And I'm like, I know I could step this up a bit and I need to take it uh, seriously. So I, uh, I've been making it a habit of constantly, constantly um, posting and anyone that I meet in person, I'm, you can guarantee once I get their name, I'm going and following them on LinkedIn. Right. I love um, it. Yeah, because I mean, you, you got to make connections and keep those connections. So um, I don't have a CRM, but that's that it's a good way to, to kind of remind yourself of what each person that you connect with is doing. Those Just are cheap for, for personal CRM. 
those are cheap. What was that? Like a personal CRM of like contacts and and you know kind of like a net a network web. I'm pretty sure yeah, those are pretty we, cheap out there. We were looking at doing like a Salesforce uh, or HubSpot, but I, I'm old school. I, I've always used my my uh, CRM, sheet? if you'll say Excel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I uh, I just I can I can get as creative with it as I want on Excel. And when we used it, the free version of HubSpot. It got so complicated. I'm like, oh, screw it. I'm just going to go back to Excel. And you can convert Excel into like mailers if you want to like send these yes. people letters. It's okay. AI, so, AI will solve your problem in like two years. It'll yeah. it'll have all your customers organized when you need it like at a flip. So yeah. Do you use AI that at been, all? Yeah, dude. I use AI like crazy. I If I, uh, believe it or not, uh, I don't really want to throw myself under the rug here, but um, under the bus, I mean, I... I use AI for a lot of my LinkedIn posts. I don't have them write the whole thing, but like if I'm, if I'm, you know, blanking and I'm like, oh man, I got to make a post this week. What am I going to write about? I'll, I'll literally ask AI, uh, what would a young real estate investor in, in multifamily real estate write about on LinkedIn? Give me five ideas. Right. They'll give me ideas and then I'll be like, okay, write a LinkedIn post about this idea. They'll give me six or seven and then I'll take it and I'll, personalize it and then myself. put your knowledge in there and your own yeah 100 yeah, percent. Yeah. yeah it's like i also go ahead so i also am trying to like spiff up my linkedin with like uh images too so i don't know if you saw my last post but i uh i talked about a book that i was rereading which was the richest man in babylon i think and, i did see that yeah and i uh i used we me and my partner subscribed to um to an AI art type format or process that basically you can, you can tell AI what to and write or yeah. what to create. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know if you guys can really see it, but I know we can that with AI art. Yeah. That's fucking sick. Whoa. <laughs> that's AI. And, that yeah, looks like a professional AI. Don painting. That's insane. And so we also did, <laughs> I want to see if I could find the picture of it. Um, we also tried like throwing in, like uh, realistic pictures of ourself or at least our business to make it look like, you know, we're taking pictures in office. Um, and we took this picture and you can actually see that's AI also. Right. But then, is but that then our, our, lo our logo is, is right behind it. Okay. Right I see. I see. Oh. I see. So it looks like, it looks like we're standing in an office. Right um, and yeah, that's that's yours, one hundred percent. Talking business. Yeah. Was that was that you and on that, the left of that picture? That was supposed to be, me, but it didn't okay. really work out that way. <laughs> I was <laughs> gonna say, I was like, you kept <laughs> saying it was you. I was like, it doesn't look like you, but no, <laughs> no, it's fair. It was a bad hair day. <laughs> oh, no, man. but that's we we've been trying to use it to our advantage for so many different things. And my mentor actually mentioned that he uh, it's still in the works, but he's been using one that actually underwrites and analyzes deals. I, so I actually, I don't know, maybe we'll, we can talk after if it's the same thing, but I saw something just like that. And the, I was like, I, the people that were telling me about this were like, it was, it was some ad I think on, on Google or, or I don't know where I found it, but I was, I was looking into it and I was like, if this is, if this can do what it's saying it can do with 98% accuracy, it's like over. It's over. Like now, listen. If it's ninety percent, that's that's a problem. 
There's still yeah. there's still there's still like a 10% lag there. It's if it if the AI fucks up too much, people aren't going to trust it. Once you get yeah. up there, dude, I don't we're we're, we're done. I, I It'll just I tell you where I mean, the deal I, is. It'll just be like, yeah, this property right now. Right, yeah. I I feel like it'll make deals so much harder for like regular people to get into because I mean, you're going to have institutional guys seeing that and be like, okay, we can get a 6% uh, cash of cash return at this number. Let's raise it $2 million. And now we're down to a Boom. 4% cash on cash, but yeah. we can afford that. So let's get them an answer quickly and close this deal before anyone. And that's the problem is they can mm -hmm. do that. They have so much money that they can corner an entire segment of the market within six months. They could do 50 deals and corner a whole segment of a market that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And it screws the people that like could get creative with it, right? Like mm -hmm. seller financing, some like a lot of deals don't, when they bring them out in an offering man, memorandum, they don't, they don't offer seller financing, but that's a question you ask. Same with an assumable loan. Those are questions you ask, but if, if uh, it's all brought out and you can just throw that into an analyzer, it's going to bring out the best possible deal for you. So it kind of, it kind of screws the people that are willing to get creative with it. Seems like a cheat code for BlackRock. I always think though the lawyer, yeah. the lawyers will always still have their hand in terms of negotiations and stuff like that. Like, sure, maybe a model will tell you that this is this is the better way to to structure it or to to, to engage in the transaction. But I always think that there's going to be there'll still be that that clash where someone someone will win or or, or one thing or another. But we, you know, I'm sure you've seen when you do deals that there's certain red tape that's been created, you know, not, not like you have a zoning restriction, but just red tape mm -hmm. in terms of the transaction with buyer and seller that, that will still always be there regardless of whatever the model says. Right. Yeah. I think, I think for a while, at least for the, probably the next six months, there's still going to be a heavy Delta, um, between what sellers are wanting to get and what buyers are willing to pay. Um, in my opinion, even in residential, not well, residential investments like like what Eddie's doing, but there's still people that are wanting 2020 prices, and with interest rates, we're we're far from that. No one can afford that anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm just not sure if if a, an AI tool would be able to to um, dive into that. There's probably going to be certain limitations and restrictions at a certain point. I think it, yeah. I think everybody can agree that it's not best that we all have the actual power of the universe at our fingertips yeah. I, you know yeah. it, it should be it should be restricted in some way it's it's definitely scary i mean right off the bat you're thinking all oh, this is awesome but then you start to dive deeper into what it actually means and i mean so many people are going to lose their jobs if it keeps progressing like it is agreed it's got to get regulated at some point and there's so many yeah. industries that could get seriously affected by it too i i mean Dude, I, I i saw that they were doing they were doing an ai uh flying um like the air force had some type of ai controlled plane <laughs> yeah I'm like oh this is we're just asking hey man you play to... call of duty as a kid you knew this was coming yeah. you know you know what yeah. i mean we knew, we knew this was coming yeah just wait until those turn on us and then they got weapons and everything <laughs> yeah that's that's fantastic let's go with that yeah no it's it's scary but hopefully we can come to the point where we're regulating it to the point where it doesn't go out of hand I think the way you're using it, though, is perfect. Like, I've told Shiv, too, like, I've used it for hashtags on our, like, Instagram post. 
like really simple stuff that like takes time out of your day that easily can be done with AI. And I don't think it's yeah. a cheat code. I think you're just using the tools that you have in front of you to, you know, increase your productivity. And uh, that's all you can do and ask for with it, man. But the way I yeah. use it is I treat it as like it's, I literally, like you say, oh, it's your AI assistant. Like that's just the term they use. No, I literally treat it as if like there is someone that I'm like giving orders to that I need like tasks done. So like mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, the way I like, I kind of ask is kind of like, I make, I make it come up with like a plan because it knows, right? It knows more than I do what I need. I just need to tell it what I need. So I'm like, all right, you tell, I need this. You tell me what you need from me to best help you make this. And then and in terms of like, sometimes it'll be for like my own research. So like I'm, if I'm in tax regs, for instance, I, and it doesn't know, like chat GPT doesn't necessarily know the latest like tax knowledge, but I'll give it mm -hmm. certain parameters where I'm like, okay, I need this with this situation and, and this, and they're like, all right, you're going to need to find you need, you're going to need to go to this section of the regs. And I would have never found it if I didn't ask it to tell me, for me to tell it, you know what I mean? The, that, that constant loop of questions between the two, I would have never figured it out if I didn't have that. So. So there's, there's also a way you can go around it. Um, I, my mentor also told me this, if you like, if say you wrote like a really long, uh, article on something and you just post that into chat GBT, It'll basically learn how to um, write like you type write like you. Yeah. yeah. Which is up. insane. I mean, I think it took two or three times of me asking it to do LinkedIn posts, help me do LinkedIn posts. And it was putting emojis right where I wanted them. <laughs> I was, I would still go back and, 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 and change the emojis to what, like something more personalized. But I mean, I'm like, man, how did you pick up on that so quickly? Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah, but it, it's, it's it's a neat tool. I wish we had that when we were in like college. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I've screw check. Low key though, I'm kind I'm kind of okay with what, what, what we had because we actually had to somewhat try. We did. So these guys, yeah. man, these kids, I don't know what they're doing, bro. They they could just do their whole like school year in a weekend if they really wanted to. I mean, this is <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Isn't there, isn't there software now that's supposed to like detect, detect it? But I don't know how it detects it if you're just copying and pasting. Okay, now write me this in, in a way to subvert AI detection yeah. software. Yeah, like how does yeah. that work? How do you detect? That makes no sense to me. If it's just a copied and pasted text formatted work, like how does that work? We're going to be like, it's basically going to be proxy wars between students and teachers. Yeah. Like teachers are trying to advance the AI to catch what the students are doing and the students are trying to get around it. But I think, yeah. dude, I think that's like, it's everybody. Yeah. Because some people, right, you, you clearly take time and edit your post, right? You, you look, you look through, you're like, this does, this makes sense. This doesn't add your own personal stuff. I see people on LinkedIn, bro, that don't even put in the time of day. Like they just, you could just tell that shit was straight up copied and pasted off of chat GPT or whatever Bard or whatever they use. And it's pasted. And it's like, it's so empty. It's so empty. But I think what you're doing is right is you're actually, you know, you're providing value in a way, um, mm -hmm. in, in, in a way that a lot of other people can't, I mean, to be fair, like if you were, if you were just a staff analyst, you know, just running reports all day, there's not much you could realistically talk about. You know what I mean? You've done a lot of shit. So you could yeah. you have room, you have room to talk about stuff. So, I mean, it, it still is kind of hard, man. Like I, with it being like large multifamily deals that I'm talking about, it is kind of tough because I mean, I, I don't have any, I don't have a hundred unit, uh, under my belt yet, but I plan to, 
um it's just like i have to somewhat might make myself like uh relate relatable no more more like uh i have to basically act like like it's something i've done already right but to your to your point i do have the knowledge of like being in commercial real estate and and basically all aspects of real estate and so i i have i have some stuff to talk about at a knowledge standpoint but i'm hoping that soon once i get my my first deal my first big deal under my belt i'll be able to really hone in and make a ton of posts about that because it'll it'll help my credibility and it'll definitely help build some relationships for with my investors but that's actually the main reason why i'm choosing to go in with jared on my first big deal is because if i can go in and say he doesn't even give me a huge split and he takes most of the money as long as my name and my company is under that that property that's something i can advertise and people and now if i go and try and raise money i'm no longer saying yeah you know i've done a fix and flip so now i'm going into 100 units so it's like no one's gonna really feel comfortable with that but now if i could say i have 100 units under my belt this is what we're getting in this and this is the type of, of returns we're getting i know i can duplicate that let me tell you why now they're gonna be like okay this guy has the experience this guy has done this before. He has the best, a good team behind him. You don't think, now though, I if you've done 100 cool. deals, if you've done 100 deals, that you're not just picking up the phone and calling somebody? I feel like if you're when, at that you're at that point where you've done 100 deals and you've met enough people to, to, to do those, maybe 100 smaller than, than what you're probably envisioning. You're probably envisioning thousands of deals. But I feel like mm -hmm. once you've built your book of, like, the people you need to call to, to source money, capital, deals, or whatever, your first probably call is probably to call somebody then the linkedin post i don't know yeah. am i seeing that wrong well there's certain ways that you can raise money it's all on um there's different classifications that you have to abide by but the way that you raise money uh you can actually get in trouble if you um like you there's some people you like you can reach out to that um say like their personal connections uh you can raise money from them but if you do that then i don't i don't believe you can go and raise money from uh like business connections if that makes sense so the pooling the pooling yeah of those two, you're saying yeah it, it, there's there's a ton of different regulations on how you raise money right um i'm not an expert on it but um my partner thankfully is and that's that's kind of what we have to um pin our heads together on once once we get a deal is how we're going to raise the money but that's kind of why we're, we're blessed um with with how we've gotten uh the investors that we have is because all of them are from seeing our posts and they've reached out to us and so they're not really personal connections they're all people that saw our posts and they're interested in, in investing with us they're not someone that we know on like a personal level if that makes sense yeah that does i mean you wouldn't get 100 units anyway without having a partner though at our age like the the yeah. scale factor for you having a partner is going to be 10 X, whatever, even what I'm doing. Like I couldn't get to hundred units in a year unless I partnered with somebody who has a lot of more, a lot more cash than I do. So like, yeah. I think that's just, you know, you getting to hundred units anyway, is still insane. Even regardless of the split. Um, that's, that's super dope that you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, even, even like, a like 15 units. I mean, if you're looking at something that uh, let me see what what would a realistic number for 15 units be out of here let's see 
15 units might be around Five 2 million. million. So Sorry. obviously, obviously that's sitting here as a 24 year old. I'm not like, Oh yeah, let me just pull that out of my ass. Right. Like I, I can't, I can't afford that. So it's, if you can find 10 people that can contribute, uh, 200k, you know, 200k or 50k. I mean, that's, that's a down payment right there. So, I mean, it's, it makes it a lot easier when you go and source, uh, source your, your, um, your capital and, and kind of put it all together and structure it in a way that you're promising a certain return, um, and kind of breaking it out to those people to where it's just another investment for them. I have one final question for you. Shiv might have more. Um, but this is more of a specific question to me. I pitched one guy um, on kind of doing a deal together. And I wanted to know if you have had that experience pitching actual investors because you have a, a partner that goes in with you. So is he doing a lot of like, um, you know, the pitch decks? Is he the one reaching out? Or are you the one who's actually going out um, and trying to pitch investors on these deals? And how are you kind of doing that? What approach are you taking? Yeah, so I mean, I've pitched... I've pitched three guys before he has had recently, at least he's, he's in between um, the property management side of things. And now he's, he's heading on over to the um, brokerage side of things, but now he's got a little bit of free time. So he's been able to actually um, talk to some of the guys that are reaching out to us um, on our website. So he's pitched more than I have, but when I pitch, uh, you know, the three guys or actually technically I've probably pitched, five people before but you know i kind of break down our goals what why we're looking in certain areas and you know basically what what we're expecting of it and and what we need from them uh you know like I, there were these three guys i told them you know raleigh north carolina this is why we, we like this this market we told them the you know the industries that are there the drivers population growth all these different things basically to warm them up on the on the market um, and then we basically say, you know, Hey, this is, this is the type of asset we're looking for. So we're looking for C minus assets, 1980s build. And we're going to try and, and bring it up to a B plus asset by renovating these units, bringing the, the rents up to market. And, uh, after that we'll, we'll try and refi. If not, we, we plan on doing like a five-year hold. And this is the, the minimum return that we're looking for to get you is an 8% cash and cash return. So we basically break it down and then answer any questions that they have um, in that aspect. But then there's also people that we've talked to that solely, they already have a market that they want to get into. They just can't own the property themselves. They just want to invest in it as an LP. So we had one guy from New Jersey that reached out to us after seeing my LinkedIn post. And um, he's like, yo, I love Raleigh. Uh, anything you guys get there, if it's a, great, if it's a good return, uh, reach out to me. I know a handful of guys that would go into it with me. And so that's my capital right there that we can raise. They already have their market picked out and those people are seasoned LPs. So you, you don't really have to break down as much to them, but a lot of people that, you know, just have a lot of cash on hand and want to, you know, park it somewhere. Those are the people that you kind of got to break down what you're doing, why you're doing it, what type of asset you're looking for, basically giving them the rundown and the criteria that you're looking for as an investor yourself. Love that answer. No, that's good to know. I think the guy that I ended up pitching, he wasn't really even interested in real estate in the first place. So it was more gotcha. of like an informational thing. And I think I took it way too, I think honestly, I took it way too seriously. I should have been a little bit more laid back in my approach because I'm just throwing like all this shit at him in the first time we meet. Um, right. And 
it didn't really go as planned. Um, so that's kind of good to know. Were most of these guys already interested in the market or already interested in investing in real estate that you pitch? Or did you have to go out and find a guy who just had a ton of money he was sitting on and he needed a way to stash it somewhere? So one guy was Jared, which obviously you guys know is he was very seasoned. I just basically flat out asked him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guy was, I believe he worked for Burcadia. So he was involved in real estate debt. Um, so he, he was already in the, in the industry. So he knew it. He just already had a market that he was interested in. The other three guys, one of them was actually my contractor for the fix and flip. And I just straight up asked him like, Hey, you know, or he's like, are you planning on doing any of this anymore? I told him like, no, I'm looking for bigger things. Like if you're interested, I'd be, I'd be happy to throw you in on it. And so he's like, Oh, that's, that's neat. I'm like, he's like me and my partner in total, we got like a million that we'd be interested in, in putting into something. I'm like, okay, let's set up a meeting. And so we sat down and I basically gave them the rundown that I uh, just explained to you guys. So um, some of them know it, some of them just flat out know that real estate's a good thing to get into and they, and they, but they just don't understand it fully. And you just got to give them a little bit of a push to understand it. Uh, but you know, you're right. Word vomit is definitely going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. You got, I always learn, teach it to them like they're a third grade, try and, and dummy it down for them. And once you start throwing numbers out, which to some aspects, some people like that. Some people don't, it, it gets them confused and no one wants to get into something that they're confused about. And so, um, that might be it. it and if, if they ask you a question that you just don't know, I mean, I honestly, God, I, th- I respect more people that say, I don't know, but let me f- figure it out more than trying to just come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, I've, I've been guilty of when I was in life insurance, I would always try and just like BS it to try and get them to think that I knew everything. But the most important thing is just being completely transparent with them and, uh, and trying to teach it to them as in a way that, you know, is really easy to understand. It's one of those things, if you don't know it, you're, pro- you're probably good at research at this point. You can probably figure out the answer quicker than obviously they could. That's why they're asking you. But you could probably yeah. figure out that answer relatively short amount of time. Well, also, I mean, that's the whole point of having LinkedIn, right? Like, do you have, a, you have, a, you have 600 connections? someone's got to know right. the, the the answer to the question that you're trying to find. So, I mean, just be s- as simple as making a post. Hey, you know, I talked to an investor. He asked me this question. Does anyone know this answer? Or, or, or maybe even make it throw, like make it an actual post, but throw in the end of it. You know, got a question for some people answer in the comments. If you know it, like a trivia thing or something like that, you right. know, be fun with it. So, uh, it, it, there's different ways you can go about it. And that's, that's why that's another reason why I think LinkedIn is such a powerful tool. And I really, really wish I, I knew that when we were in college, because honest to God, I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm going to get a job and I'm never going to have to use it again. But I think it's even more important when you're trying to start. No, the jets got turned on. Honestly, I think honestly, probably, you know, you're right. If you did it, if you did what you're doing now in college, you'd probably be, be farther along. But at the same time, the influx of pot and popularity of the platform, I think over the last, you know, certainly four or five years since we've been in college, but you know, especially over the past 24 months has been, has been insane. So I think you're right. But at the same time, we're in a, an environment where this is the hot thing. You know, this is, this is the TikTok of the business world. You know right. what I mean? So. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. So the thing that everyone's talking about is bridge debt. Everyone in 2020 with the low interest rate, they did bridge debt. And so basically it keeps them in a locked in uh, interest rate for a certain amount of years. And 
I think typically it's like three years, maybe two years. So a lot of those, those loans are expiring now. And uh, that's why I'm kind of hopeful for the, after next six months, a lot of them are coming to expiration and these people, uh, you know, underwrote their deals at a 3% interest rate. And now they're having to go into them at a 7% interest rate and they're kind of freaking out and need to sell. And so that's kind of where I'm seeing some opportunity for people that are trying to get started. Okay. Um, distressed sellers. That's right. That's very interesting. I mean, <laughs> I watch Ben Mala. I don't know if you watch any of his videos. Ben Mala? Yeah, he's he's uh he's a pretty goofy guy, but he owns like two hundred fifty million dollars worth of real estate. I think he mostly is focusing uh kind of some of the areas you mentioned in South Florida. Um, but it's funny to me because he's always talking about his floating rate, and I guess like a lot of these commercial guys just got really greedy in twenty twenty. Um, and didn't lock in their two, 3% interest rates. And now they're, you know, paying double on their, on their mortgage payments, um, or their, you know, rental payments or whatever. So it's, uh, it's interesting to hear that that was like a big thing. Like these guys are just playing with fire pretty much, uh, with these kind of like floating rate loans, bridge loans. So floating rates aren't actually a terrible idea. And the reason is, is say you're buying something and planning on holding it for, five to 10 years and you have a floating rate no matter what in the contract i believe i've never done this personally but i've heard of some pretty successful people doing this that you have a floating rate but it's going to be capped at something it, you can't get into it at three percent and it, it allow it to go all the way up to 15. it's going to be capped at a certain uh, percentage um but the benefits of that is if you sell the property uh, prior to the loan um, coming to uh, exhaust, you don't have to pay a, a pre-sale pre penalty, prepayment penalty, sorry. Which oh, can be on, on, sizable. on satisfying the mortgage. Okay. Yeah. So it's easier to, it's easier to underwrite, you know, being, being conservative. If you got into an interest rate at 4% and you know that it's capped at a 6%, you could throw into your numbers, oh, let's assume it's going to be a 6% every single year. And now I don't have to kind of assume what the prepayment penalty is going to be. Cause that's, that's not possible to really, uh, assume. Is right? that a, but, how uh, big is that? That penalty? I'm assuming that's a percentage. If you pay yeah, off the whole mortgage, the percentage of the mortgage, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be pretty sizable. Yeah. That, okay. That's super interesting. Especially for five years in on a 30 year mortgage. Dude, I never knew yeah. that. That is very cool. Yeah. So that's someone cool. that told me that, and if you guys, um, Ever, you should you should definitely look him up. Uh, I got to hop on a Zoom call with him. His name's Zach Hapenstall. Um, he's out of Hapenstall. He's out of Phoenix, Arizona. He started in 2018. Oh, right when Phoenix, Arizona got popping too. Yeah, and he's got over a billion dollars in assets under management now. Jeez. And you got on a Zoom call with him? Yeah, I mean, it was it was our mentorship group that was okay. on it. But I mean, he spilled a, a ton of knowledge out, and he was actually the one that told us that. Was that quite so he, a sizable investment? That mentorship group. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was fifteen k. Damn. But so I'm mean, I'm assuming you did a ton of research into this, and we're like, these are the people to be with, and yeah, and such. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I scoured the guys' uh, LinkedIn. And I, I also made sure that there were other people that were like saying good things about him. 
uh, and he wasn't BSing on what he was doing. And That's that Alex Ramosi right there, dude. He asked first. Mead 500 himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you didn't, because you, like, good for you, any man. finance guy would probably be like, I'm going to throw it in, you know, SPY, or I'm going to throw it in stupid options, but. Dogecoin. You were like, and that's the thing. You were saying financial advisor, like all the way at the beginning, like any financial advisor would tell you to throw that in the market. Yeah. Any yeah. financial advisor would tell you to throw it in your 401k, to throw it in your Roth IRA. But you decided, no, like this is, this is like a, if I pay 15K now, like this guy's going to teach me stuff that's going to make me probably millions, right? Which, right. Yeah. Will meet, let me meet the next guy that's going to make me, you know, 10 million or whatever. Right. Well, well there was also a guarantee of, they'll work with me until I close my first big deal. Oh, um, okay. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, if I close a 50 unit apartment complex at 15 K is not going to be jack shit. No. Nope. So yeah. I'm like, let me just do that. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, I, I, I got blessed when I first got into it. Um, he, the guy that is the main mentor, he is fully knowledgeable on syndicating and uh, marketing yourself. There's some uh, parts of the business that he's not an expert in. And so I kind of got nervous. I'm like, well, crap, if I, if I got questions in these areas, how, who am I going to ask? But just recently, I'd say like two months ago, he brought in his two other partners. Um, and I'm, ta I'm talking, those three have now, if, if you have a question, one of those three is, is, is advanced in that area. And so um, I'm blessed to, to have uh, a direct contact to all of them. And I think they own $60 million worth of um, real estate together. Damn. So, I mean, they, they, uh, they do pretty well and they just recently started too. So, um, yeah, man, I, it's what I've heard it in so many podcasts and read it in so many books. Uh, a mentor is, is one of the top things to, oh, to invest yeah. in. Thousand percent brother. I've had, I've had a few in my life that have given me similar such advice and I wouldn't I wouldn't be anywhere where I am or have the foresight to see what I want to do in the future without them so I completely agree with you dude mentors are like as crucial as the work you put in every single day right and I mean that's that's what basically what Jared was to me he was a mentor um, I mean he got me into the, into this business but that man is so busy that I in my head he was my mentor but I also knew that realistically, he wasn't someone that I could call and text 24-7 with every different answer. I couldn't hop on a call with him every day to go over stuff. He was so busy. It's just that wasn't what, how it was going to happen. So I knew that he was my original mentor, but I needed someone that could give me the full attention, someone that I, I would have the opportunity to meet every single week. We meet with him two, week, two days of the week. Um, and he has a full-on course that basically explains everything from step A to step Z. So, um, it's, I knew that was the next step that I needed. And that's actually how I met my partner, uh, was through that mentorship. Right. And I, I mean, I've, I've met plenty of people. I mean, there's people all across the country now that I know that are doing the exact same thing, That there's no way in hell I would have met them if it wasn't for that mentorship. So. Yeah. Or just looking up on Google or asking chat GPT, the, the chat GPT yeah. ain't giving you those answers. Not it's yet. True. Right. Exactly. Yeah, like there's there's people in San Francisco, Dallas. Uh, I know I know a couple guys um, that are up in New York. I mean, there's just people everywhere that you know. I'll meet them one time in person, and now their network becomes my network. And so it's just it's the goal is to spread like a wildfire, right? So, yes, sir. Uh, it's it's helping me 
uh, kind of excel in that aspect. I love it, brother. I think we're going to wrap. Yeah. That was great. That was fantastic. Um, Appreciate you for coming on, man. You already mentioned your LinkedIn. Is there anything else you would like to plug before we close it out here? Yeah. um, If anyone's interested, go ahead and check out our our website. It's foxridgeassets.com. And that's where you'll find all the information on what we're doing and how you can get involved. Uh, Yeah. Amazing, man. Ladies and gentlemen, episode number 84 of The Shetty Show, The Shivanetti Show, brought to you live from Chicago, Illinois. Dylan is in Nashville. Appreciate you for coming on. This is the type of content we want to continue to push out. Our guests have been um, really great lately, and this is probably one of my favorite podcasts that we've done. Um, Shiv, any final thoughts? No, man. I I think this is the type of... this This is the goal we had of this podcast, is to bring people on that are making moves in their lives. And my goal, honestly, Dylan, is we do another one next year and we get an update. You know what I mean? And I think, and that, and that, we do that obviously every, every week, every other week, right? We're, we're constantly updating anything big, but it's really cool with not just you. We've had a couple other guests on that. You know, the value is, is just insane. And I think everybody should go back and like listen to this one over. And honestly, like, take notes like i'm serious like there was so much that you could find here that you would probably have to watch hours of youtube just to Mm -hmm. or read you know tons of books just to figure out so i'd play this one back yeah bro i love it yeah and i'll 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 throw it out there if anyone's got any questions or anything feel free to reach out to me i'm pretty responsive so dylan thanks a bunch man appreciate you for coming on good night guys see ya